From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for being with us all week long. Thanks for everyone picking up Teddy and Booker T, uh, two American icons, and how they play the path to racial equality. Appreciate it. And hope to see everybody tonight in Red Bank, uh, New Jersey, on stage. Uh, we have a couple of tickets still available. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to be joined by Patrick Ruffini, a Republican pollster, co-founder of Echelon uh, Insights. Uh, he's got analytics. He's got some polling. He's author of a brand-new book, Party of the People, Inside the Multiracial Populist Coalition, Remaking the GOP, which, if you look at the polls, it's got to scare Democrats. The thing that's helping Democrats is that Republicans don't know how to message uh, their pro-life message. So before we get to our first guest, Congressman Jason Smith, who's got his hands full, uh, House and Wayne, uh, House Ways and Means Chair, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's 280-something people on the terrorist watch list. Are they out of the country or they in the country? Senator, they very well may be out of the country. But you they don't know. Senator, I'm not aware of a member of Hamas crossing the border. Huh, this guy is so sickening, Mayorkas. Border war. The administration handling of its impeachable bordering on criminal. We bring the confrontation in the Capitol and the danger looming in Mexico as thousands more come in through a caravan. Number two. A number of these attacks have occurred since our last response. If the first time they tried that didn't deter Iran and its proxies, it's not clear to me why this same kind of a of response will do the job. Brit Hume, Israel at war, crushing Hamas as Jews around the world find themselves targets of anti-Semitism. To the delight of Iran, Hezbollah and Hamas, and America seems to be, and this is embarrassing and maddening, the hotbed of anti-Semitism right now. Number one. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. Here's the truth. You're just scum. That is outrageous on all sides. 2024, we saw every Republican in action last night. Five on the debate stage and Trump on the stump. What was covered and did was not covered as we show the 45th president in action. Can anyone stop him from becoming the 47th president? Plus Jill's outrage over the state of Joe's pathetic reelection campaign. So let's bring in Congressman Jason Smith. Congressman, I don't know. Do you do you have any time to watch the debate last night? I did not. We were, in fact, voting until about 10 o'clock last night in the House. But I haven't watched any of the three debates now. Um, I I think that who the American people want to hear from is Donald Trump, and he's not at the debates. And I just think the others are auditioning to try to be vice president, but I don't think any of the other five will be. Uh, You have a a deadline coming up to get a budget done or sign a a continuing resolution, a CR. What what is this chance? We after missing twenty two days trying to pick a speaker, what are the chances of you guys getting something done and and a deal done with the Senate? You know, I'm very concerned. As you can see, see November seventeenth is coming by. We wasted twenty two days without having a speaker, um, and that put us in a very bad place. However, that's what we were working on last night was additional appropriations bills. We've passed seven of the twelve appropriations bills. The Senate 
have finally started to move appropriations bills. They've actually moved a micro bus of three different appropriations, which is the first that they've done. I'm hopeful that we'll figure out a way to continue funding. The last thing we need in this country is a government shutdown. But let's let's remember the last time we had a speaker that prevented a government shutdown, what happened? Matt Gates and seven other people removed him as speaker. I mean, I think they learned their lesson, but you can't take 22 days out of a deliberative process and expect to pass a budget that's this complex. Now, is there, how many is there, 10 or 11 appropriations 12, bills? 12. 12 appropriations bills. So, that, and that you're need at to seven. Be passed. Seven of the 12, almost 80 83% of all government funding, the other ones are smaller ones like financial services, ag, um, labor, but I mean, they all have to be funded. And I, I really believe that we can, we can get to a solution. Um, we have the Fiscal Responsibility um, Act budget numbers that was agreed to and signed into law by Joe Biden, those are the numbers where funding should be at because it's been agreed to by the House, Senate, and the White House. So would you, if you're not done, and then you got to go work it out with the Senate and it's not done, would you support a continuing resolution? You would, right? I absolutely would because the last thing I want to see is our men and women in uniform not being paid whenever things are going on in Israel Ukraine, you see what's going on with China and Taiwan. We absolutely cannot allow ourselves to be vulnerable. Well, I, do, I agree with you, but you have guys like Matt Rosendale who refuses to sign it and says it's what Hillary Clinton, what Barack Obama would do. So there's people that just don't want to participate or show flexibility. So you'll have to hopefully you'll have to deal with that and be able to work through it. So I want to talk about the uh, if I can, the the the. Uh, the Hunter Biden investigation. Here's James Comer on what he's doing. Cut 34. I think we're at the point now where uh, we can connect the dots. We understand what the scheme was. We understand who the people were who were wiring the money. We believe we know why, but we want to hear from the Bidens. And uh, we're at the point now where the evidence is overwhelming. And now we can bring the Bidens in and ask them substantive, specific questions about things that uh, we have serious concerns about. So they subpoenaed Hunter, James, Rob Walker, asked for voluntary uh, uh, voluntary interviews from some other family members, wives, ex-wives, Elizabeth Secundi, the Haley's older, Haley Biden's older sister, all the people that somehow are on the money trail. How important is this for you guys to get to the bottom of this? And how important was it? And what about the timing of the subpoenas? You know, Brian, it's so important for the American people to get answers to these questions. You had President Biden when he was running for office saying that he knew nothing about his son Hunter Biden's business dealings. We know that that's not true. Then he said that he was not involved in his son Hunter Biden's business dealings. And then we have evidence from the IRS whistleblowers showing that that's not true. And then we have evidence now from the from the whistleblowers and additional documents showing that Joe Biden did benefit from his son's business dealings. You know, President Biden <clears throat> said that Hunter did not receive or anyone in the family did not receive money from China. But guess what? The $40,000 loan repayment came from China to the president. So he's consistently lying. We need to bring the Bidens in 
to, to get them on record of the documents we found. The Ways and Means Committee has been going through the tax records. Jamie Comer's committee has been going through the bank records. And Jim Jordan's committee is going through the obstruction in the Department of Justice. The three of us are working together, and we need additional questions answered by the Bidens. Right. Uh, you're going through it. It's amazing. The 200, hundreds of thousands of dollars passing back and forth. It's not around and no one paid taxes on it. You know, if you or I did that, we have to account for everything. That, and that's without the 87,000 extra IRS agents. At the very least, people should be curious where the money is. And the president taunted you guys when he said, where's the money? He did that. And Brian, just from the tax perspective, which we've been looking at, you know, if in fact, if in fact Joe Biden loaned $240,000 to his brother, why is it that his public tax records that he released running for president does not show any income from loans? Why not? I don't know. Are you not being truthful with your taxes? Because, or was that $240,000 a gift? But guess what? If it's a gift, it should be in his taxes. That is why the Ways and Means Committee is deeply involved. It's we're looking at the tax aspect. The IRS whistleblowers were released from our committee, and there's a lot of documents. These IRS whistleblowers, Brian, are continuing to give me more documents, and, and we're going to be releasing those documents as well. So the, I've been really disturbed, like many Americans, the anti-Semitism in our country. Today, do you know that 100 New York City schools will be walking out along with teachers to, pro, to demand a ceasefire uh, and to Palestinians to get a homeland? I mean, do you believe this, manipulating grade school kids, you know, K through 12? And number two, are you looking into the rise of anti-Semitism, where it's coming from, and who's financing it on campuses? We absolutely are looking into it. In in fact, the Ways and Means Committee will hold a hearing to look at the rise in anti-Semitism on college campuses, as well as the financial ties between U.S. charities and foreign terrorist organizations next week. That is our focus. Think about this, Brian. Between October 7th and the 23rd, just two weeks, we have seen anti, anti-Semitic incidents of harassment, vandalism, and assault in the U.S. rise by almost 400 percent. And you see that these protesters, um, these protesters around the world have been chanting things like gas the Jews, um, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. This is absolutely unacceptable. And even at one college campus, Jewish students were forced to shelter in a library and barricade doors as a mob bangs on the glass walls of the building. For example, at Cornell University, which we're actually going to have a Jewish student from Cornell testify at our committee hearing next week. But at Cornell University, a professor said in the initial Hamas invasion was exhilarating and energizing. That is so wrong and so un-American, Brian. I just don't know where to start with that. i got to bring it to one other line. If, if Donald Trump gets the nomination, and there's quality on that stage last night, but let's let it play out. He's, he's dominating. If he gets the nomination, they can't run on how great Joe Biden is. They have to run on how bad Donald Trump is, and it already started. Don't tell me this wasn't intentional. Listen to this. Cut 18. Hitler was duly elected. Somebody with those tendencies, though, dictatorial, authoritarian tendencies would be like, oh, OK, we're going to shut this down. We're going to throw these people in jail. And, and they didn't usually telegraph that. 
Trump is telling us yeah. what he intends yeah. to right. do. There's a kind of cult-like dimension yes. here. I don't know where to start with that. I mean, how inappropriate is that uh, and how dangerous is that? It is absolutely dangerous, and it's so inappropriate. I would I would remind Hillary Clinton to look at members of her own party, members of the squad in the House of Representatives that I serve alongside that are helping being cheerleaders for these this terrorist movement, the ones that want to eliminate the Jewish people. They want to eliminate the Jewish state. And Hillary is trying to say Donald Trump is like Hitler. Uh, let's let's not even go there. But I mean, it's unacceptable. The only way that the Democrats can can win is if they distract the American people from the real things that they're facing. The policies that Joe Biden has implemented as president, whether it was having a completely open border where more than six million people have illegally crossed the southern border since he's been president, or whether it's a reckless inflation crisis that has increased 17.7 percent since Joe Biden's taken the oath of office that has caused every American to pay more to just put food on their table, clothes on their backs, and gasoline in their cars. The Democrats will try to say Republicans are going to eliminate democracy or they're going to try to compare Donald Trump to Hitler. That's the only way that they can win is if they distract from the real things that Americans are facing. Bring us behind the scenes, Congressman. We know the censure of Tlaib this week. We know and we see how you were, uh, uh, Mr. I pulled the fire alarm, uh, Congressman Bowman. Uh, and others standing up, yelling back at fellow 22 Democrats who voted to censure Tlaib and others who are pro-Palestinian, uh, not even expressing any uh, hostility towards Hamas. How fractured are the Democrats? They clearly are fractured because um, they have this left-wing um, left-wing section of their party that is trying to take over. They are they are recruiting people in primaries. We saw that in the state of Missouri where Cory Bush beat Lacey Clay. You see that all over the place. But this is starting to become a very significant player within the Democrat Party are these extremists that – you know, like if they don't like what's going on, they'll go pull the fire alarm in, in the in, in the Capitol. I mean, it's just these people are absolutely um, unreasonable. And right. these are the people that are trying to take over the Democrat Party, and they're doing a pretty good job. So it's going to be interesting. You're chairman of Ways and Means. We know how valuable and, and hard a job that is. If you can if you don't get there by November 17th, I'm very curious to see if the crazy eight is going to make a stand against this current speaker, too. Uh, and need a CR. Uh, and my, by the way, the country might need a CR. That just might be the way it is. Nobody's trying to uh, up spending. They're trying to come to a deal. Uh, Congressman Jason Smith, thanks so much for your candor. It's great to be with you, sir. Take care. Have a good weekend. You got it. one 408 In about 15 minutes, we go inside the debates with the Republican pollster and get your take of what you saw last night. Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
And you have about, what, seven or eight candidates left? I think they're at a debate tonight. Nobody's talking about it. Everybody's watching. So it's 61% for your favorite president, me, and 10% for Ron DeSanctimonious, and 7% for Birdbrand. I watch these guys. Coming in, I had this thing, and I was watching these guys. They're not watchable. You know, the last debate was the lowest-rated debate in the history of politics. So the president was at a huge rally. I think he's what the 20,000 people, people were saying, big crowd in Miami. He's very popular there. Right now he's ahead of the very popular governor there. But I differ on him. I, I think the president's winning, no doubt about it, 50 to 15 or something like that. Got it. Uh, that's in Iowa. He's got a substantial lead, too, although the caucuses can change quickly. Uh, in New Hampshire, New South Carolina, he's on top despite two candidates from South Carolina who are very popular. I actually think there's a lot of talent on that stage, Les. I really do. I mean, there's no path right now that I see for Chris Christie to president. But when you watch him debate, does anyone say to themselves he doesn't know what he's talking about? Does anyone say to himself, wow, that'll never work? He's ready on everything. If you want to challenge him, he can do it. If he ever got in the lead, he would. So I think there's frustration on the DeSantis part that Trump's not there. But he was strong, very comfortable. You see him sitting back off the podium. Uh, bring it on. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is a disruptor. He makes the debates better because some of the things he says are so outrageous. He gives people a chance to show some emotion. I think Nikki Haley, again, looks the most impressive, but not the only one that's impressive. Tim Scott comes off as the greatest person ever. And I don't know if you saw this, guys. We saw his girlfriend. Did you notice this? We, we got a chance to see his girlfriend on the stage. So that's I'm always into the TMZ portion of the candidacy. I care more about personal lives of celebrities and candidates than I do about substance. Now, I can't believe I'm interested in that, but I was just kind of glad and relieved for him. Uh, we're going to talk about the war. We're going to talk more about politics. Uh, we are seeing the uh, Israelis uh, split Gaza in half, and there's a big push for a pause. But I don't see any hostages coming out. 10 to 15 won't do it for Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, that according to widespread reports. Coming up next, Patrick Graffini will go inside the Republican Party. And is it right to to criticize Ronna McDaniel after the off-year elections? I don't think so. Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. And I'd like the likes of the, the sharpest of the war hawks on Ukraine, Nikki Haley, to have some accountability and answer. Do you want to use U.S. taxpayer money to fund the banning of Christians? That is actually what's happening. They're using the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. They have banned them. The Ukrainian parliament just did this last week, supported by our dollars. And I think you owe it to the American people, Nikki, to at least this Mr. one time. Mr. Ramaswamy, thank you. That's time. At least Mr. Ramaswamy, their banning you. of Christians. Mr. Ramaswamy, thank we'll you. About Mr. Ramaswamy, thank you. We asked the questions. Ambassador Haley, well, what is your take on more funding for Ukraine? I am telling you, Putin and President Xi are salivating at the thought that someone like that could become president. They would love to see that. was a great exchange. And I think that Vivek Ramaswamy, again, surface knowledge of what's going on there. He comes out and says, 2014, he goes, they, these provinces have been part of Russia since 2014. Do you know why? Because they invaded and took them. 
And because they speak Russian doesn't mean another country can take them. If little Italy only spoke Italian, we wouldn't give them back to Italy. So they took these provinces under false pretenses. And now because they had them, he thinks they should keep them. And the reason why the Ukrainian Orthodox Church is being uh, alienated by the government is because they are showing a loyalty to Moscow. And just because they're religious or they're from the they're from the religious cloth, it doesn't mean you can be a spy or or show mutinous behavior. Patrick Ruffini is a Republican poster, co-founder of Echelon Insights, a polling and analytics company, and author of a brand new book, Party of the People, Inside the Multiracial Populist Coalition, Remaking the GOP. Patrick, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. Your thoughts of that exchange? Um, well, I think that, um, you know, consistently uh, Nikki Haley uh, shows um, why she's performed well in these debates. Um, she has the fight, I think, in a lot of these exchanges. And has gotten the upper hand is able to get the upper hand in a lot of these in a lot of these exchanges um vivek um the more he has gone on um you know i think that his strategy um you know came out this morning his strategy in this debate was to be quote be unhinged a mission accomplished and um you know he um you know has had a strategy of trying to you know out Trump Trump in a, you know, as a candidate and it hasn't worked uh, every single debate. Um, now it's the third. Um, he's gone down after, uh, after um, the more people see of him, the more they don't like him. Yeah. Smart guy. He brings a dynamic uh, to the Republican debates, but he definitely echoes the thoughts of a lot of people in the Republican party that don't want to get involved in anything overseas. First time in my lifetime, I hear Republicans saying, yeah, let's forget Ukraine. Let's worry about our own border. You know, enough with Israel. There's got to be a limit here. Now, I'm concerned about our manufacturing base. Absolutely. But I don't want to give up Taiwan. We can't let Russia win in Ukraine. And we have to support Israel. We have to find a way to get that done, Patrick. About a third of the Republican Party doesn't believe that. You must know that. Uh, yeah, and the, you know, I talk a lot about how the Republican Party has changed, and it's changed, I think, in a lot of good ways, but um, I think also in a lot of not so good ways. So when we're starting to say, um, you know, we're not going to stand up to a dictator, um, uh, which is totally against, uh, you know, uh, the Republican Party of Ronald Reagan, uh, the Republican Party that won the Cold War. Um, uh, so it's not just Russia now. Um, People are saying you have some people saying this about Israel, um, which is, um, you know, I I think we're going down a very dark path if we are grouping in Israel um, with Ukraine and a lot of these other places. I mean, it is a complete straw man that uh, to say that U.S. troops are going to go to Ukraine. Uh, That is not um, what is happening. Um, You are talking about spending 5% of our defense budget to degrade 50% of the Russian military without um, a single American soldier on the ground. Um, That is very different than Afghanistan. That is very different from Iraq. I thought so. Uh, But, I mean, I feel uh, sometimes an island in saying that there's there's a coalition working against us. It's China, Iran, and Russia. And they're outplaying us right now. There's a big move for the right leader to expand our 
our military industrial base. It's a for-profit organization. We could sell it to these new members of NATO, the Baltic stations. Ukraine is going to be in the part where they could start buying soon. Uh, Taiwan's got a big checkbook. So let's supply it. We can make it. We can innovate it. We should do it. So what else do you think that there's a legitimate contender, of a legitimate competitor for Donald Trump on that stage last night? Um, I think we're starting to see it, whether it'll be enough with 67 days to go to Iowa remains to be seen. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think that, um, look, it's not um, too surprising that Donald Trump is leading Joe Biden in some polls. Joe Biden is senile. I think anyone would be leading um, Joe Biden. The question is, um, who on that stage um, can really empathize and can really connect with the struggles that are being faced by working Americans? I think you saw this uh, a little bit with Ron DeSantis talking about how, um, you know, people go to the grocery store and they have to take items out of their cart to um, because they can't afford the bill. Um, and that's the kind of thing we need to see um, uh, from these candidates. Um, and the question is, who can really, um, you know, who can really press the advantage that Republicans have right now on the inflation issue without drawing a huge target on themselves, without making it about themselves? And Donald Trump is, you know, unfortunately, uh, he will galvanize Republican turnout, but he'll also galvanize Democratic turnout. And I think, you know, with the right candidate, you could galvanize um, Republican turnout and Democrats are going to stay home because they don't uh, they aren't fundamentally excited by Joe Biden. Um, they think, um, you know, he is not a winner. And, uh, you know, who can make that happen? Well, you can't be happy with the off your elections, Patrick. And so far in Virginia, they wanted to keep this House and flip the Senate or vice versa. And they didn't either. And then you had the red state of Kentucky stay with their Democratic governor. So those two things couldn't make you happy, along with the inability to message in Ohio and the abortion bill that got passed. It really allows, according to some legal experts, uh, you could actually have an abortion in the eighth, ninth month. Yeah, uh, um, uh, that is absolutely disappointing. And again, it is who can make this election not about Donald Trump, who can make this election, uh, you know, who can effectively counter the abortion messaging. Uh, you saw Nikki Haley try that. Um, uh, you know, I think gave a very strong answer on that last night. Um, but the the main problem here is that, you know, we have a huge problem with inflation still. We have huge problems on the border. We have huge problem with violent crime in our cities. And we saw some of these Soros prosecutors go down to defeat, um, you know, as a silver lining. Um, so it's not that, um, you know, people are, you know, turning in a progressive direction. It's that, you know, I think we have completely let Democrats define the playing field on a lot of these issues. Uh, and on the abortion issue, it is an issue that uh, unfortunately does not uh, motivate and unify Republicans, um, the biggest uh, you see red state after red state, uh, these measures go down to defeat. Um, you see in these uh, very, uh, you know, these counties that voted for Trump by 40, 50 points, 
that's where the biggest drop-off is um, for support um, for the pro-life side, which shows that inability to message and the inability to kind of keep the focus on the extreme on the left. And that's what um, you say, hey, they want it to the ninth month. But what about let states decide? And the fact is, you talk about a, a populist, multiracial coalition, though you're becoming a blue-collar party. And they, some people say that that's the reason why you're being out, uh, outraced, because your base is paycheck to paycheck, which is a lot of yeah. reason to be prideful. But on the set, the bad part is a lot of the so-called rich and famous Hollywood, those are the ones with the bigger bank accounts. You're absolutely seeing that. Now, I don't, I'm not, I don't subscribe to the idea that dollar for dollar, you know, you have to match them dollar for dollar. Um, message still matters. Uh, you know, Donald Trump won in 2016 despite being outspent. You've seen Republicans win elections in 2020. Um, you saw Democrats flood in. Remember that South Carolina Senate race. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they lose. They lose that big. Or remember all of the money that gets poured in to defeat Mitch McConnell. <laughs> and they lose by 20 points. Um, so, um, you know, I am not so afraid of the money uh, part of this, but um, I think that um, we have taken our eye off the ball when it comes to a lot of these issues. I don't believe that, um, you know, this abortion issue is particularly motivating for these new, let's say, new Trump voters, the people who voted for Barack Obama and then voted for Donald Trump. If they were uh, you know, these very strong, strongly socially conservative people, they would have been Republicans long before then. And I think that has been the motivation issue in Ohio and a lot of these other states. Um, but all the more reason to keep the focus, again, inflation, border, crime, and again, not on these you know, personality <laughs> issues, uh, right, uh, uh, just who can keep the focus squarely on mm. Biden's failures on all of these issues? So, Patrick, do you want uh, or are you in are you do you have a horse in this race? Do you want Trump to get the nomination? Do you not want him to get the nomination? I would say I don't want him to get the nomination. Um, I think he could win. I think someone else would have uh, either Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis um, would have a much easier time of beating Joe Biden. Here is uh, here's Hillary Clinton on the prospect of Trump winning. Cut 19. You know, when I was Secretary of State, I used to talk about one and done. And what I meant by that is that people would get legitimately elected, mm -hmm. and then they would try to do away with elections and do away with opposition and do away with a free press. And you could see it in countries where, well, Hitler was duly elected, That's right? right? Yeah. And so... All of a sudden, somebody with those tendencies, those dictatorial, authoritarian tendencies, would be like, oh, okay, we're going to shut this down. We're going to throw these people in jail. And, and they didn't usually telegraph that. Trump is telling us yes. what he intends yes. to right. do. To listen yes. to Take that. him at his word. You, do you believe that she's referencing Hitler? And that's the main thrust against Trump. We're going to make him... The worst person ever. And she's already there. And he hasn't even gotten the nomination yet. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, th this is the uh, this is the th this is why. Right. Um, you know, I think so many people are still with Trump, you know, despite, 
his issues is um, that the Democrats can't help themselves with this really unhinged rhetoric saying um, that there's going to be a dictatorship in this country. I mean, look, you can disagree with Trump. You can say, you know, he's he's better, or, you know, he's worse than other Republicans. Um, but, you know, I would certainly say I'm no big fan of Donald Trump, but uh, I, I think that is off the, uh, you know, that is off the reservation. And, you know, they're going to say the exact same thing when, you know, we get a different nominee. If you, they would say, you know, uh, the minute that uh, Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or someone else um, becomes the leader of the party, they're going to say, remember Donald Trump, remember how great he was compared to Nikki Haley. This is the worst Republican you. we've ever seen. They did it with Mitt Romney. That, yeah, this is the exact playbook they'll repeat every single time. But here's the damage, Patrick. I'm not naive. I know about opposition research. I get it. That's got to be a part of it. But when you tell somebody they're the worst ever, the world will end if they get elected and they win, half the country is is ready to fracture because they they think it is Hitler. They think it is Stalin. They think he is going to get rid of institutions. He is going to get rid of elections when none of that's true. You're right. And, and, and then it doesn't happen. Right. You know, I mean, we've already and we've already had four years. None of that happened. Um, you know, I think that the. You know, issues that um, a lo- some Republicans have a Trump that he did not um, push hard enough on building the wall on a lot of the things he promised to do because he had to work it with Congress <laughs> um, because, um, you know, he could not legally do these things. If it were a dictatorship, as Hillary Clinton is claiming, these things would have gotten done. Absolutely. And, he, and they oftentimes did not get done. And that's the democratic process. Understood. Uh, so are you under the belief that the Senate is, is as strong a map for Republicans as you've seen in 20 years? And do you expect uh, them to get the majority? I think it would be very hard for them not to get the majority. But um, unfortunately, we've seen election after election. Republicans blow a lot of these races. Um, we said the same thing about 2022. And, you know, we just can't keep we got to keep our eye on the ball. Um, with a lot of these candidates, I think, with better candidates, um, we would already have had the majority in 22. You would have. And we would have had four more seats. And, uh, yeah, so I, I do think mm-hmm. that uh, – I think it's almost impossible given the, given the seats, but uh, it should be a much bigger majority um, than it is. You got uh, Montana, West Virginia looking good. Pennsylvania, you got a shot, and, and we'll see where it goes. Patrick Graffini, pick up his book, Party of the People, Inside the Multiracial Populist Coalition, Remaking the GOP. Patrick, thanks. Your thanks, call's Brian. next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is the same administration that is having more illegal immigrants cross our border illegally than all presidents combined. They don't know what they're doing on the border. They don't know what they're doing when it comes to bad guys. If you had Donald Trump as president, we would secure the border tomorrow. People would listen to him in Mexico and other places because they're afraid of him. If he were president of the United States, this stuff with Iran would end. 
I think there's an excellent chance. Number one, they want to make sure he's not. I got to make sure they don't hack the election and destroy it electronically or or through information. China, too. They don't want to see Trump back. Whatever you think, they couldn't figure him out. They didn't. Uh, you know, they they still are mystified by that. And instead of trying to make Joe Biden look good, they have uh, walked all over Joe Biden. And now I think he's going to give away the store because they have agreed to go to the APAC conference out in San Francisco. And I'm worried about tariffs being lifted, science agreements being reestablished. But here's the issue. Right now in Israel, you need the prime minister fully backed by the U.S., give them the weapons they need to get rid of the terrorist state below. If you get rid of Hamas and there are Palestinians that just want to live a good life, this is the best thing to do to them. It's going to be a hellacious two or three months. Got it. Understood. But there's over 500 trucks of aid getting in there on a regular basis. The Rafa Gate is now open. People are now uh, flying out. There's a corridor that people are told to walk through that the Israelis have opened up. I'm not saying people aren't suffering, but I'm saying October 7th can't happen. And that should be your only objective. And anybody who suffers, who loses their lives or limb, blame it right on Hamas. They brought this on. Nobody else. There were 18,000 men and women from Gaza working in Israel daily. That's over. Thanks to Hamas. They're to blame. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We have a lot to go over today. So much happening. Ever since, really, the Israel-Israeli at war broke out, uh, we've been at a dizzying pace. Let alone the election cycle. We still haven't really fully reflected on the off-year election, which is... More impactful than I ever thought it would. Also, this is the week Teddy and Booker T came out. Uh, two American icons plays the path to racial equality. The whole special is on uh, Fox Nation right now. And out of the 57 I've done, I think this is the best. Uh, and it really deserves, the producers deserve all the credit. And also, uh, tonight, I'm going to be in Red Banks, New Jersey, talking about all the books. Patriotic, motivational, inspirational time. And tomorrow in Ponte Vedra, Saturday. Uh, at the Villages, and Sunday in Vero Beach. But right now, I'm at 1211 6th Avenue in Manhattan, and let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's 280-something people on the terrorist watch list. Are they out of the country or are they in the country? Senator, they very well may be out of the country. But you they don't know. Senator, I'm not aware of a member of Hamas crossing the border. Isn't this terrible? <laughs> Uh, unbelievable. Uh, the border war, the administration handling of it is impeachable, bordering on criminal. We bring the confrontation of the Capitol and danger looming in Mexico as armed men are, are patrolling the border just on the Mexican side. Number two. A number of these attacks have occurred since our last response. If the first time they tried that didn't deter Iran and its proxies, it's not clear to me why this same kind of a of response will do the job. Uh, that is Brit Hume, Israel at war. Crushing Hamas as Jews around the world find themselves targets of anti-Semitism to the delight of Iran, Hezbollah, and Hamas. And America, and I can't believe I'm saying this, is the hotbed of it all. Number one. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. Adult daughter. Here's the truth. You're just the easy 
<laughs> Besides that, I think there was not many fireworks. 2024, we saw every Republican in action last night, five on the debate stage and Trump on the stump. What was covered and did anyone show that they could stop the 45th president from getting the nomination and becoming the 47th? Plus, Jill's outrage over the state of Joe's pathetic reelection campaign. That, according to one of the staffers. Let's go out to Congressman Mike Gallagher, a chairman of the Select Committee on Strategic Competition between the United States and Chinese Communist Party. Uh, Congressman, you, you might not have, but did you see any of the debate last night? I saw a little bit of it. I wasn't watching it, and then my throat started blowing up. I guess uh, the TikTok question referenced my op-ed on TikTok uh, last week. So uh, that's probably the first and last time I will be involved in a presidential debate. Uh, But I'm glad the question got asked. It's very important. I know we spent a lot of time, uh, Brian, talking about the military competition with China, but just as important is the ideological competition and TikTok uh, being owned by ByteDance, which is controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, is potentially the biggest platform for ideological warfare ever constructed, uh, particularly given that uh, a lot of young Americans don't just use TikTok for dance, video, uh, dance videos. They they use it as a source of news. Um, so if the dominant media and news platform in America is effectively controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, that strikes me as a very bad idea. So I'm glad that Hugh Hewitt asked about that. I thought that was an important question. I'm glad that there was a debate. I'm not sure Vivek referencing uh, Nikki Haley's daughter was a smart move. Uh, it seemed a bit beyond the pale, and it kind of distracted what from what could have been a more um, fulsome debate and discussion about the complexities of dealing with cross-border data flows. But nonetheless, I was glad it got asked. So what they were saying is, and, you know, Barack Obama is sitting there Indian style and under the table talking to a guy with nose rings and purple hair, and he wants to get the younger vote. And they think that's the best way to get the younger vote. That's why Joe Biden is backed out of it. And he's hired influencers to spread the word of Biden's reelection. So and, and, yep. and Vivek Ramaswamy says, listen, that's what the young people are. What do you want me to do? And you have you got Senator Rand Paul saying we should be a free, open market. What do you say to those people? Uh, we can be a free, open market while still ensuring that a hostile foreign government, our, our foremost geopolitical adversary, doesn't control the dominant media platform in America. As I said before, it would be as if at the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, we allowed the KGB and Pravda to buy ABC, NBC, the Chicago Tribune, the New York Times, and that probably understates the stupidity of the problem. My Democratic colleague, Richie Torres from New York, and I were on Fox earlier this week, and Richie said that um, this would this would be such a disaster that historians would look back as 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 it as, as, as a suicidal. Uh, effort. So we have to take action. The fact that the Commerce Secretary went out there and said we can't do this because we're going to offend younger voters is absurd to me. Um, I, I, we we have to take the national security concerns seriously. So either a ban or a forced sale to an American company that has control of the algorithm. And if we have a forced sale, American investors could still make money. Everybody would win out while alleviating national security concerns. Trust me, it's the best possible outcome. We're going to be pushing that in the House of Representatives, and hopefully we can convince our colleagues. So if you're comfortable with China controlling what the next generation calls news, stay, keep TikTok on. And uh, I was hope the American, uh, the, the, you know, Silicon Valley would come up with a better alternative. I know that Instagram got a lot better, but kids still prefer TikTok. It would be great if there, if there, was, a, if there was a substitute. And I thought the best answer was from Chris Christie. I think it was Chris Christie. You can't get Facebook yep. over there. So if you can't get Facebook yeah, they, and Twitter over there, why are we letting them get TikTok over here? 
Exactly. It's a matter of basic reciprocity, right? You know, the other the other phenomenon, which makes no sense, is you, the CCP wolf warrior diplomats, all their propagandists, their communist apparatchiks are all over Twitter. They're all over YouTube. They're all over our social media platforms spreading dangerous anti-American propaganda designed to pit Americans against Americans, designed to distract from things like the origins of COVID. Remember, they blamed, uh, you know, the uh, American labs like Fort Detrick for the outbreak of the virus. The whole thing was absurd. Well, at the same time, your average Chinese citizen doesn't have access to those same platforms. Uh, they, they don't have access to YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter. So as a matter of basic reciprocity, we should, we should kick all of their propagandists off our platforms unless they allow our social media apps uh, to be accessed by your average Chinese citizen. Which will never happen. Are you concerned that we're going to lift some tariffs and, and, and re, reaffirm some deals out with APEC? What is the president uh, empowered to do when he meets with President Xi? And what did he already give up to get this meeting? Well, he's given up uh, in, in order to send multiple cabinet secretaries to Beijing They've taken their foot off the gas in terms of key defensive action that we should have taken a long time ago. So, for example, uh, fixing loopholes in our export controls. We grant licensing exemptions to Chinese companies like Huawei. That should never have happened. We haven't imposed a single sanction on a Chinese official uh, for things like um, genocidal activity in, in Xinjiang or uh, COVID um, cover-ups. We haven't insisted on any uh, transparency with respect to the origins of COVID and our response to the Chinese spy balloon was a joke. All of this defensive action has been slowed down so that the Biden administration can get this meeting with Xi in, at APEC. I do think there's a real risk that the president could go further and he would have the authority to unilaterally uh, reduce 301 tariffs. Now, they would be taking significant political risk if they did that. Uh, but what are they? What, I, what are 301 tariffs? Uh, 301, that's what, uh, remember, Ambassador Lighthizer and Trump imposed tariffs on China under Section 301. They have authority to impose tariffs. It was probably the biggest economic move that Trump did against China. Some of this was reduced as we did a phase one trade deal with China, but a lot of these are still uh, in place. The goal at the time was to reduce our trade imbalance with China, there's a whole investigation into things like intellectual property theft, cheating, dumping that led to the 301 tariffs. So uh, Biden has yet to reduce a lot of these tariffs, but he could in order to take the temperature down. And I really think their goal is to 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 make sure that nothing rocks the economic boat leading into an election year. And that's why they're so scared about taking action to push back against the aggression from the Chinese Communist Party. Evidently, economically, they have deflation. More executives, this is the headline in the, in the Wall Street Journal, more Chinese executives vanish, casting chill over the business climate. Now, this is their internal problem, but we do need to take note to see how unhinged they are and how actual vulnerable they are economically. They They are doing some of the things that... They are struggling almost like Japan was when we thought they were going to be our economic challenge in the 80s. And you were probably too young. I do remember them emerging. Everyone said, look out for Japan. And and they just deflated and they have been unable to get on top of things. Is China that vulnerable economically? Uh, they're very vulnerable. And I have heard about this decade called the 80s. I've heard, I've heard tales told about this. And there's videos. Uh, so, and I think uh, yeah, CNN has a documentary on it. That's right. And a great movie called Top Gun and a great remake that just came out. So I heard, I'm good. a fan of the 80s. Thank right. you for that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think they're very vulnerable economically and then really vulnerable demographically. I mean, they have a 
demographic buzzsaw in the early 2030s. And my hypothesis is that this is going to make them more aggressive in this decade, which is why it's absurd that when Biden was in Vietnam, he went out there and said, well, because China's facing economic difficulties right now, they got a real estate problem, they got a lot of other economic problems, they're less likely to do something like invade Taiwan. You know, the opposite could be true, Brian. They, as they confront domestic economic problems, they could get more aggressive abroad. And for the president to say that, I thought was very irresponsible. It's not serious. And we have to start planning for that worst-case scenario. They have legions of unemployed youth who have no interest. They're now pressuring college presidents to get jobs for their graduates or else. I mean, can you believe that? I mean, this is what happens with a dictatorial government. It's impossible to have somewhat of a hybrid, which they've been kind of functioning as. So they're they're vulnerable. Why can't we ever get ahead of it, Mike Gallagher? Why can't we start making things more difficult for them through the cyber world, through information, uh, through different things to stretch them out like they seem to revel in stretching us out? You know, there's a great – if you go back to the last time we fought the Chinese province on the battlefield, it was on the Korean Peninsula in the, in the early 1950s. There's a great book written about it called This Kind of War by T.R. Fehrenbach, and he gets into this. and He talks about the abiding weakness of free peoples is that we, we can't muster action before the crisis happens. But then once the crisis happens, we have a genius for improvisation. We're able to mobilize. The problem is relying upon America to respond after the fact and – you know, uh, revitalize Freedom Forge and take action who are already in a conflict with China, that doesn't work in the modern day because they would move so fast to take Taiwan that we wouldn't have time to start producing ships and long-range anti-ship missiles and the things we'd need. We have to deter the invasion, and that's the paradox of the present day. In order to avoid a war, we have to adopt a war footing, and ultimately that requires strong presidential leadership. I hate to admit that as a member of the legislative branch that we're dependent on the executive, but without a president forcing the Defense Department mm. to get its butt in gear and break through the bureaucracy, it simply isn't going to happen. So over 40 attacks since since October 17th on our guys in Iraq and Syria. We've had two hits on them in Syria. And our, we have at least 40 people with TBI and other injuries that we don't know the details on. I also got emails from people saying that Kuwait's getting rocketed. We've got 45,000 people in the region as a Marine. What what should we don't we expect more from the Pentagon and from the the president to watch our back and let us do something besides duck and hope missile defense works or a drone an attack drone malfunctions? We absolutely should expect more. We have to restore deterrence, um, and it's not there right now. And it's because every time we get hit, we respond pinprick strike. In the Middle East. Operate that way. In order to restrict deterrence, you have to at least respond uh, in kind or or, or escalate, because uh, strength and hard power is the only language. And so, you know, if if, if a single hair on the head of an American service member, uh, I think it's fair game to go after the Iranian proxies or the IRGC could force options that did. And right now, I just don't think this Pentagon or the White House has the uh, intestinal fortitude to do that. And more to the point, the Secretary of Defense went out there after we struck some sites in Syria and said, well, this has nothing to do with what's happening in Israel uh, with, uh, with Hamas. Well, that's absurd, because obviously Hamas and Iran are intimately linked. And if you don't understand that Iran is the long pole in the tent, it's the primary threat in the region, and build a regional strategy around countering that threat, you're simply not going to have any semblance of stability in that region. Although they're com- very comfortable telling us stuff that they know are untrue. 
and which is yeah. or just kind of insulting the general public and saying that. And there's also the South China Sea that just to go back to China for a second, little by little, they're putting a stranglehold on it. They're harassing the Filipino, the Philippine ships. They're trying to block out Australia. They're trying to little by little just take over the South China Sea so we won't have be able to maybe come between Taiwan and the mainland. Yeah, we. I mean, the the deterrence, the, the cross-strait deterrent problem in Taiwan, I, I fear is getting much worse. Um, notwithstanding some things we've done that are good, the AUKUS agreement is good. Basing agreements with Japan is good. Basing agreements with the Philippines is good. The problem is we're dealing with a military buildup in China that's unprecedented in modern history. The biggest peacetime military buildup, at least since World War II, just on the conventional side. What they're doing on the nuclear side is crazy, too, like a 10x increase in their nuclear arsenal over the last two decades. They obviously have the largest navy in the world, and it, that's actually understated the problem. They have the three largest navies in the world, if you count their maritime militia as well as their Coast Guard. We're just not taking this threat seriously enough. We have to deter war uh, it, because deterrence may be hard, but war is hell. A conflict with China, I mean, just to be incredibly destructive – if we don't get our butt in gear, we're going to be we're going to be on the wrong side of this equation. If we have the right leader, the, the whole country could rally around a common enemy. The Democrats and Republicans, to various degrees, all see as China. It's an opportunity. I know you see that on a daily basis with your bipartisan select committee uh, on China. Congressman Mike Gallagher, thanks so much. Thank you, sir. All right, when we come back, I'll take your calls. Uh, I'll try to squeeze him in. And then Daniel DiMartino joins us, a Ph.D. student at Columbia University. And he is seeing all hell break loose at that Ivy League. He's going to bring us that story and the dangers on campus in just a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back. one 866 We go out to Columbia University after this and find out more of the chaos. Do you know what's happening today at noon in New York City? Teachers and students who have missed so much school and underperforming so precipitously are storming out of the school and protesting in favor of the Palestinians and wants a ceasefire. What a great lesson for kids. Go ahead and kill innocent people. How about 800, uh, 800 innocents never wore a uniform before? Just chop them up most horrific way possible and then rally for the other guys. Rally for the perpetrators and the killers. Alex, you're in California. Hey, Alex. I thank you for taking my call. I just want to say that China is maybe a threat to Taiwan, but it is not necessarily a threat to the West. Uh, in fact, India is a greater threat to the West than China. In June of this year, the Indian government committed an assassination on Canadian soil, and the FBI in the United States has heard chatter from the Indian government that there may be another assassination this time in the United States, and they have warned. Uh, obviously, that would be bad, but I am not worried about India. The, the assassination, I know, I haven't fully looked into it, but out of everybody, China is the threat, a comprehensive, massive threat. They are moving in through the border. They're moving in and have been in our colleges. They're setting up police stations in places like New York City to harass par- their own dissident, their own citizens to make sure they know that they got family members back home if they don't do their dirty work. So China is the threat. India is not a perfect country, but I'm not and I'm not happy the way they're buying the oil from Russia. But I'm not worried about India. Daniel DiMartino next. Then I'll squeeze in some more calls and get your comments at BrianKillMe.com. So glad you're here. 
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. My Jewish sisters and brothers and I are on the receiving end of death threats from our peers. Undergraduates who have filed reports about these incidents have been left with no emotional support, no feedback, and no consequences for the perpetrators of these hateful actions. As a result of this inaction, there are Jewish students who do not feel physically safe on campus. And yet the unequivocal tone of the student body and frankly the administration prior to recent email statements is, no, this is not what anti-Semitism is. This is not what you are experiencing. Daniel DiMartino joins us now, uh, Ph.D. student at Columbia University. Daniel, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Brian. All right. So what is it like at Columbia right now? Well, what's going on is that, you know, I have neighbors who are Jewish and classmates who are Jewish and have asked me whether it's safe for them to go outside. What do you tell them? Well, I tell them that, you know, the the sad reality is that if you're a man and you you wear a kippah, then you're probably going to be identified as Jewish in the street. And and there are marches of people who support Hamas and and, and everything that's going on there uh, and are harassing those people. So, I mean, I would be careful. uh, And that's what I tell them. Did you know that there's this level of anger towards Israel, towards uh, towards Jewish people? Did you have any idea? You know, I I never did. You know, I came originally from Venezuela to to the United States in 2016, and and so I'm used to, uh, you know, the class warfare and all of that from from a socialist country. But coming to America, I never thought there would be so much anti-Semitism, and it concerns me because you know all these students who are who are doing this, right? I think it's because of virtue signaling. A lot of um, commentators have seen are blaming it on maybe you know it's just Muslim immigrants or uh, or, or anything else, I think, you know, at least at Colombia, most of them are native-born Americans, and that's what scares me the most, right? Because it means that the education system is telling them that this is what's good, that evil is good and that good is evil. And we need to be teaching right from wrong again in this country. But, I mean, you're talking about elite. You know how hard it is to get into Colombia? You know, you did. To get the elite of the elite go to these schools. And you have to know nuance. It's not, well, George Floyd got choked to death. He shouldn't have died. We all know that. That's my protest. I understand that. When you see this, you don't understand. If you just look at this, you don't understand what goes on. The carnage on the 7th, the the history behind it. All of a sudden, these people in their 20s are out there marching 100,000 in D.C. against Israel. And and do do you know of them teaching this in school? Yeah, and... um... Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just really disheartening. Um, I wish that these students would would do something better with their time, you know, and, and that they would inform themselves. Uh, can you imagine if a professor had three years ago celebrated the killing of George Floyd? But that's exactly what's happening now. There were there was a tenured professor at Columbia who said he was very happy and excited after the attack by Hamas. And nothing happens to those people. So w- there is cancel culture in this country. There is cancel culture against conservatives who have opinions on things maybe about uh, taxes or opinions on the Supreme Court. But when there are liberal professors who justify terrorist attacks and even celebrate them, nothing happens to them. So, Daniel, what's being done on campus since this started breaking out a couple of weeks ago? Because I, I also talked to a professor offline who stood up and spoke out and called on the president to do something. He's Jewish. 
and said you got to stand up. And I know you, uh, Columbia is losing donations. Some of the most powerful people in the world graduated from Columbia. They are now running away from donating to them. So what has changed? Well, you know, what's most surprising about all of this is that Columbia is, I, I believe, the most Jewish of all the Ivy League universities, uh, just by the virtue of being in New York and the student body and the, and the faculty. And so this will have, I think, very negative consequences on Columbia. The, I think the president, the, which is she just assumed office, the president of Columbia, will, will find out that she miscalculated. Um, but I wish this didn't have to be about consequences and miscalculations. This should just be about doing what's right, <laughs> right? Um, but they don't. You know, they divest from oil funds, thinking that that's going to help the environment when, when what they should be doing is, you know, innovating. What they should be doing is teaching their students. And instead, they don't take action when real important things happen. And that's, that's what disappoints me. And I think much things are going to change. I think students are going to want to keep coming to Columbia because of the, you know, the pride of having an Ivy League degree, and and unless parents, unless more donors act, it's not going to be enough. Daniel DiMartino, our guest, he's a dissident project founder, a fellow at the Manhattan Institute and a PhD student at Columbia University. So I guess I don't have to tell you there's been a surge of anti-Semitic crime and attacks against Jews, uh, 200%. Uh, since the Israeli-Hamas war sprung up and the offensive went into Gaza, up 200 percent. Last year, there were uh, 45 attacks. They're surging big time now. So the police officers already undermanned and understaffed and overworked. So they're wondering what's going to what's going to be next. And today, high school students are walking out. of I don't even think high school, all students, 100 schools walking out, walking out of class at noon today to protest the offensive, the war in Gaza. You still there, Daniel? Okay, still there. You know, the good news is it looks like uh, uh, Peter Ducey did get a question in on President Biden. Uh, President Biden, I'm sure we'll bring that back shortly. He's now talking to the press. He actually walked over and he feels he has something to say. He's going to go speak about Bidenomics shortly. What he should be speaking about is against anti-Semitism. He shouldn't have his vice president bring up Islamophobia because although there's always some type of prejudice out there, we're not seeing a surge against Islam, uh, Muslims in this country, not by the longest, uh, not by any stretch. Final thought, Daniel, I just want you to finish your thought. For you, for people who just think it's in, um, uptown, it's in uptown New York, it's not. Today, 100 schools in New York City will walk out at noon to protest Israel's uh, military action in Gaza. Just final thought on that. Look, uh, as you know, I'm, I'm the founder of the Dissident Project. We sent immigrants who lived in authoritarian countries to speak at high schools to tell our stories. And, and we do this because we know that there's indoctrination going on in the schools in this country, public, private, and any type. And this is what's happening with the high schools. It's a symptom of that indoctrination. These students don't know better. These students are just being told by their teachers. Many of them are being given credit by their teachers to do this. How We need action at the government level. We need state governments to fight against this in Republican states. And, and then we also need more teachers to stand up for what they believe in, right? They also have First Amendment protections. It's time they protest in favor of Israel. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm glad you're doing this. Glad you're taking action. Daniel, for somebody who was born in Venezuela and lives here, what do you, what's your message to the American people about their country? 
that this is the best country in the world, and it is the best country in the world because the American people have kept it free and prosperous. And so we need to keep doing that. And the only way to do it is to pass on to the next generation the understanding that we are free because of our limited government and our system of, of separation of powers in the Constitution. Uh, and so, you know, if people want to know more and, and, and teach their kids about this, I would encourage them to go to our website, dissidentproject.org, and, and we help parents and teachers to do this. Go get them, Daniel. I love your perspective. I love your attitude. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Stay safe over in Columbia. And that's really, this is the most gratifying thing about doing this book, Teddy and Booker T. I want to give people a sense of what, how special people in our country, in oppressive situations, in tough situations, were always appreciative of the United States. Booker T. Washington, born a slave, changed everything with the Tuskegee Institute by getting himself an education, going to Hampton and being mentored along the way. And he did it for thousands more at a time in which our country was divided, fresh off a civil war, fresh off... Uh, Jim Crow and uh, and the poll taxes and everything else that was happening in certain sections of the South, and they both love the country. And now they work together to make it better. If you read this, you wouldn't be taking a knee before a San Francisco 49er game. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'll come back uh, with more of your calls and get a perspective and and let you know what Joe Biden just said to our own reporter in just a moment. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Why do you think it is that people should be more concerned about abortion access than your age? I don't think it's a comparable comparison. Why do you think it is that you're trailing Trump in all these swing state polls? Because you don't read the polls out from Jigger and 10 polls. Eight of them, I'm beating him in those states. Eight of them. You guys only do two. CNN and New York Times. Check it out. Check it out. We'll get you a copy of all those other polls. Okay? You don't believe you're trailing in battleground states? No, I don't. All right, we'll see. Uh, that's interesting. That he was, you know, I looked at 10 polls, only two, and he did name CNN and New York Times where he's trailing. Uh, So that's interesting that he took that on directly. I guess he was ready to answer that question, almost wanting it. Now, let me bring you to this story. A three-part social media thread by Michael LaRosa. He's a communications and political strategist who served as press secretary for Jill Biden between 2021 and 2022. He, and when this happens, I always think it comes from the friend who was Jill Biden. He lashed out at Biden's team following the release of the CNN poll that showed the former president with high favorability ratings above him. So Michael LaRosa tweets this out. Trouble has uh, uh, Trump has higher favorable ratings, uh, higher favorables, and Biden has higher unfavorable. This is inexcusable for a man universally known for his character and integrity. It's a result of a failing to respond to smears, lies, conspiracies, and disinformation for months, along with a void of info to be filled. He's being critical of the Biden team from inside the Biden tent. LaRosa goes on. Shameful that POTUS team has followed this narrative to congeal over the last two years. The only people who get who can help change the people around President Biden is Jill Biden. It is up to her. These are the same people who got Joe Biden fourth in Iowa, fifth in New Hampshire, and second in Socialist Nevada. Second to a Socialist in Nevada. Wow. He goes on. 
I've been a squeaky wheel for months arguing that this is the wrong approach to GOP attacks on Biden's integrity, reputation, and family. Poll after poll validates everything I've been saying, writing for months. Changing his team now will look like he actually cares. See some numbers that we do. Listen, the problem is he does have dicey things in his background that he never admitted to. He's already been caught lying. You look back at the 2020 debate. He lied throughout all of it. The laptop wasn't real. 57 intel experts say this is classic Russian disinformation when you know it is your son's laptop. You said you never knew about your son's business. You had dinner with his business associates. You had him as a as a CC on interaction with Ukraine. Knew nothing about his business with Ukraine, really? As well as with the prosecutor there? Ron, listening on W, uh, let, check that. Let me go to John listening in California. John. Hi, Brian. Good morning. How are you? Great. Um, uh, what's on your mind? I'm pissed. Ronald McDaniels, I talked to you a few months ago about my lack of confidence in the RNC chairman, and uh, this is the reason why. How do you lose an election when you have the worst president in 50 years with two wars going on, inflation up the you-know-what, and we still lose? I don't understand it. It was abortion. And I don't know what see. I, I do know this, John. I understand your frustration. And what you want to do is, like in sports, fire the coach or the general manager. Sometimes they deserve to be fired. I don't know. I've never run a major political party. But I had her here on Monday, and she was expressing frustration. Frustration with candidates who have their consultants and don't listen to her. And Kellyanne Conway wrote me after one of the anchors on our shows ripped Ronna McDaniel and said she's got to be responsible. And Kellyanne Conway wrote me, and she basically said, why are people blaming, uh, why are people uh, blaming Ronna McDaniel? These are high-priced consultants that these guys are listening to, and therefore they go with what they say and don't take her so-called free advice. A lot of them are donors and super PAC people, and they almost have to go with what they say. They say, uh, how is it that Ronna's fault Horrible, nameless, faceless, undeservingly rich consultants losing everywhere. So I understand it's you want to fire the coach. I just don't. I have not seen evidence that it's her fault. I have not seen a strategy that hasn't worked. She's dealing with Donald Trump like almost anyone can. You can't just go ahead and say whatever Trump says goes. You're still trying to run the RNC. You had one real challenger, Hamid Dillon, and you beat her. Ron and WABC in Long Island. Now, now you're ready, Ron. What's on your mind? Hey, how are you? Great to see you. I'm, I'll actually talk to you. But my thing is, as we're playing chess in, uh, uh, with with uh, going forward instead of checkers, hopefully, we have to be reminded that from when Jimmy Carter allowed the leftist lawyers he had to to revamp the Federal Education Board since then, they have withered away on history, on social studies, on normal math. And what they have done is split the families from being able to help their kids at the table. And then those kids right now are under my age, but they are police, judges, doctors, and they all have no knowledge of World War II, Vietnam, the heroes that we were, the people that we are. And they may just be a lost generation that we got to chalk up to the best we can do with what we got and teach the new, younger generation coming up that we must get into these schools. It's a must for our survival. I agree. Ron, everything you're saying, I I support everything you're saying. Everything.
Yeah. You're 100 yeah, percent right. It's not sexy. It's not sensational. It's not a bill, big board, a, a billboard on Times Square. It's not taking over a major social media platform. It is going into the schools, working on the curriculum to tell the true story of this country, get basic civics back in. It'll help the parents factor them in. Give the teachers a chance to give the curriculum. They go to school to learn and to relay and stop subscribing to people's agendas. And if you're working out of school and people are saying how great the uh, the, uh, the PLO is and how great Hamas is and how oppressed Hezbollah is, uh, you don't know the true story of the Middle East. How bad America is. I mean, it started with Barack Obama apologizing. Goes over to the Middle East and apologizes for past presidents and past generations. I don't need anybody apologizing for America. Every country has done some things they want back, and every country has done some things that haven't turned out uh, to, uh, I guess, successfully conclude what the objective was. So having said that, I don't want any president apologizing for me or the country, especially because we have nothing to apologize for. But that's where it really starts. And if we could get a hold of the education and start getting an accurate look at, at what kids are learning, most of all, I don't want propaganda I just want a true type teaching of history. I think we should all be doing book reports again about great Americans, not perfect Americans, but great Americans. And I think sooner or later we'll start riding the ship as a country. In the meantime, I wouldn't doubt, I wouldn't mind a few lawmakers and some leaders. They could start telling America's story when you got 50 million people watching, when you have the debate. Don't just say you love America. Tell you, tell us why. You heard that Daniel DiMartino just on from Venezuela. He says best country in the world. So glad I'm here. First-generation Americans, oftentimes, they are the most patriotic because they know how much better it is. And I recommend to anyone who thinks, wow, you know, this I got huge problems with this country. I'm so embarrassed by it. Please travel. Don't move yet. Just travel. Go to Greenland. You know, go to France. You know, go to Saudi Arabia. Go to Norway. Go to Russia. It's beautiful. They got a lot of room. Need some people. Need some soldiers. And if you find a place that's better, stay. But no more than likely, you're not. I hope to see everybody in Red Banks, New Jersey, tonight on stage. Some tickets are still left. Go to BrianKilmead.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. one 866 the number to call to be on the show. I'll see everyone in Ponte Vedra on Friday, uh, WOKV, and tonight in Red Bank, New Jersey, talking about Teddy and Booker T. I hope all of you can get there, uh, and I appreciate you being here. So uh, we have a lot to get to this hour. We're going to be joined by uh, Admiral James Starvitas, Kat Tim, and Dr. Kanta Ahmed. Uh, first things first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's 280-something people on the terrorist watch list. Are they out of the country or are they in the country? Senator, they very well may be out of the country. But you they don't know. Senator, I'm not aware of a member of Hamas crossing the border. Right, but you don't know because we had him on the terror watch list. You found him, but you didn't hold him. Not good. Border war. The administration's handling of it is impeachable, bordering on criminal. We bring the confrontation in the Capitol and the danger looming in Mexico as thousands more car- thousands more are coming up on a caravan. Number two. A number of these attacks have occurred since our last response. If the first 
time they tried that didn't deter Iran and its proxies. It's not clear to me why this same kind of a of response will do the job. Uh, Israel at war. Uh, we have the latest on that. They're crushing Hamas, but there's going to be some pauses. We'll discuss it. Number one. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. Here's the truth. You're just the easy uh, That was uh, some of the hardiest exchanges last night, 2024. We saw every Republican in action last night. Five on the debate stage and Trump on the stump. What was covered and did anyone show they could stop the 45th president from getting the nomination en route to the 40, becoming the 47th president? Uh, let's bring in Admiral James Chavitas, author of several bestsellers, including The Sailor's Bookshelf, 50 Books to Know the Sea, and 2034, a novel of the next world war. Admiral, first off, I want to just get clear on a couple of things on Ukraine. The reason why the Ukrainians are cracking down on the church is that they are showing a loyalty to Moscow, not to Kiev. From what you know, I mean, this was a debate last night. That's the reason, correct? Uh, that is my understanding as well. And as you know, Brian, the Orthodox Church is Greek Orthodox, Armenian Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Ukrainian Orthodox. So each of those Orthodox patriarchies has its own titular head. And there has been some very significant back and forth between Russian Orthodox and Ukrainian Orthodox. Here is uh, what Vivek Ramaswamy said last night, cut three. Level with the American people here. Ukraine is not a paragon of democracy. This is a country that has banned 11 opposition parties. It has consolidated all media into one state TV media arm. That's not democratic. It has threatened not to hold elections this year unless the U.S. forks over more money. That is not democratic. It has celebrated a Nazi in its ranks, the comedian in cargo pants, a man called Zelensky, doing it in their own ranks. That is not democratic. If you were on that stage, what would you have said to that? I hardly know where to start, but let's begin with the allegation that the president of Ukraine is a Nazi. That is nonsense. It's a lie. Uh, Vivek must know that. Um, He's Jewish, for God's sake. He's anything but a Nazi. So that would be point one. Uh, Point two would be they are a democracy. They had a vibrant election, which gave them uh, President Zelensky. Uh, they will hold additional elections. And um, compared to Russia, which is a thugocracy, uh, they are in every sense a democracy. Do they have challenges? Do they have corruption? Yes. Are they working on that? Absolutely. Um, this is the worst kind of uh, playing loose and fast with facts that is very, very dangerous as we look at um, our, the need to continue to support Ukraine. But what an awful comment for him to make that he's a Nazi and, and all the other ugliness that followed that. And, that, and, that yeah, that, it's crazy. And the other thing, the reason why some of these outlets are shut down is they're pro-Russian outlets. You're at war in, in your yes. own country, and it's not yes. safe to have elections right now. And I don't see a huge, from what I could tell, there's no huge opposition group demanding to challenge Zelensky. They know what they're up against. Uh, Quite the opposite. Um, The country is very pro-Zelensky from all that I can see. 
and they should be. He has led the country through the darkest of hours. And, and if you want a point of comparison, you want someone you, you ought to be criticizing, look at Afghanistan and the awful end of Afghanistan where President Ashraf Ghani scooped up a couple of bags of money and took a helicopter out of the country uh, in, the, in the last few hours. Zelensky's the opposite. He stood, delivered, he's fought, he's clawed everything back um, almost single-handedly. He has created this Ukrainian mm-hmm. fighting spirit. It's the only reason the country is still in existence. It, it just it worries me because he has supporters, and I don't dislike him. I've known him for a while, and they believe that statement is fact. And that fuels this anti-Ukrainian attitude, which I find scary because that's those same people are going to be complaining by saying, well, we let Russia win in Ukraine. We're showing the whole world we quit on all our allies. We go to a conflict. We got no staying power. We have zero credibility if we if we don't follow through in Ukraine. Uh, I'm sure you agree. 100 percent correct. And, and let's add the fact that uh, Beijing is watching. Yes. And so if Beijing sees us crumble and, and bail out on Ukraine, uh, they are going to be so much more inclined to take a look at Taiwan. And if you think Ukraine is a strategically important country, and they are one of the largest agrarian countries in the world, full of natural resources, but Taiwan is full of microchips. Uh, they are the leader in that industry, a vibrant democracy, and Beijing is watching what's happening in Ukraine. If they see us cut and run out of there, uh, watch out Taiwan, and that would be disastrous for the global economy. All right, I want you to hear with me. I have not heard this yet, but there's a major strategy change in Gaza. Let's listen to Admiral Kirby. Returning to the issue of pauses, we understand that Israel will begin to implement four-hour pauses in areas of northern Gaza each day, with an announcement to be made three hours beforehand. We've been told by the Israelis that there will be no military operations in these areas over the duration of the pause, and that this process is starting today. Um, Your thought about, I mean, you're probably, you might be hearing this for the first time, or you might know about it already, if regardless, what's your thoughts? I'm aware of it. It's the right move. It's, uh, I think, the right time and space. You know, the call for a total immediate ceasefire, that makes no sense. Uh, as a military officer, I can tell you if you just have a ceasefire, Gaza will be uh, rearmed, refueled, and Hamas will come roaring back. Um, so big ceasefire doesn't work. Even a three-day ceasefire, Brian, would give Hamas uh, a real military advantage. But I think this kind of tactical targeted pause allows time to get people in wheelchairs out of hospitals, to get the last few civilians out of Gaza City. It, it provides a sufficient breathing space. And I also tactically, as a military officer, I like the idea that there's not going to be a huge amount of warning here. Because if there was, Hamas would take advantage of it to move their troops around to do the military rebuilding. So I think it's a smart move. It answers a lot of the legitimate questions that are being asked about how can we do more to protect the civilians, but it doesn't stall the campaign that Israel has to press forward and accomplish. See, people, uh, what are your thoughts about today at noon, New York City, kids in high school and even uh, junior high school, 100 schools, walk out to support Palestine and demand a ceasefire? There is no Palestine, number one. 
Number two, demand the ceasefire. I don't see anything for October 7th. We have an increase of anti-Semitic crime in New York City over 200% since October 7th. You've seen a lot in your career fighting, but have you ever seen something here at home like this? No, and it's very disturbing to me. And, you know, Brian, as you know, when I finished up 37 years in uniform and, and hung up my job as Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, I then became a dean. I became a dean of a law school, the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University. And while I was there, I saw how on our college campuses there is this pervasive unfair discrimination against our Jewish students. And a lot of it stems from this misplaced alignment with the Palestinians. And I think that, um, you know, there's a big strategic conversation we could have about all this. But the the point is, here in the United States of America, um, our Jewish American population is absolutely central to uh, to, to freedom of religion, to our engagement with Israel, and this kind of anti-Semitism that's been tied into place, I think it stems from our college campuses, and, and it's increasingly infected secondary education, our high schools. It's misplaced, and it's wrong. Well, I mean, we've got to start pushing back against it. It is not George Floyd where we know that's wrong. This takes a nuance and an understanding of a complex region. How do you get some people to understand that it's not like they think, and that they, if they actually put the time in, they'll be embarrassed. They're doing it. Uh, this is what's called education. And what worries me is that um, in this particular zone, the educational system seems to have departed the fact pattern and is not um, sufficiently mindful of, as you say, Brian, the nuance in these stories. And therefore, uh, we get this cartoon version, which plays into anti-Semitism, of uh, the, the, the Jews of Israel are trampling over uh, Palestinians and Arabs. And, you know, Israel has relationships with Egypt, with Jordan, um, with the other nations of the uh, Abraham Accords. They're closing toward a relationship with Saudi Arabia, I think down that path of Israel working with the Arab world can come the kind of fact pattern that can get back here to the United States and we can understand it. But I got to tell you, and I'm, I'm not Jewish American, I'm Greek, Greek American, um, but um, I look at, at the discrimination against Jews in America and it worries me deeply. It's, it's not who we are. Listen, I'm I'm Catholic, and it it bothers it bothers me uh, just as much. So I, I got to bring you to uh, the other the other big. Okay, we're up against it, uh, but the other the other big story is the divide in the Democratic Party about staying the course on this. How long do you do you think that uh, that this the Democratic Party and President Biden will stay on and allow Benjamin Netanyahu to to go uh, this aggressively in Gaza? I think they will stay the course. Um, I think they are going behind closed doors and saying to our Israeli uh, allies that, you know, you, you, Israel, need to be mindful of how this is playing in the broader world. But I think um, those carrier strike groups are there. Those fighters are there. um, Those uh, Marines are there off the coast. We are going to stay the course with Israel. All right. uh, Go get him, Admiral James Sevier. Just appreciate it. 
Thanks, Brian. You Talk got soon. It. Bye. All right. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we'll come back in just a moment. Bottom of the hour, we'll get a perspective on the region. But next is Cat uh, Tim. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. There's 280-something people on the terrorist watch list. Are they out of the country or the in the country? Senator, they very well may be out of the country. But you don't know. Senator, I'm not aware of a member of Hamas crossing the border. You yourself last week said that there is a need for policy changes. I do not think it is a failure of policy. It is the failure of a broken immigration system. So that is a little of... The exchange yesterday, Mayorkas gets beat up because he deserves to. He has allowed this border to be open like never before in our history at a time, which outside 9, 9 10, 2001 has never been more dangerous. So he was sparring back and forth with Lindsey Graham and many others. You'll hear it in a second, but I want to share this with you. There is footage out there. I don't know if you've seen it of black clad, black clad we think, cartel gunmen patrolling this stretch of our border between the U.S. and Mexico is just yards from Texas. These guys look like they're out of a, uh, an evil terror film. You got eight people who are also killed on a remote Texas highway as a human smuggler driving a car full of illegals crashes into an SUV. So the, another large group was seen Saturday near Fronton Island. I'm sure people in Texas know where it is, which has been described as the most dangerous area along the border and just yards from the Texas towns. Drone footage captured the 10 cartel members again walking through the woodlands on the Mexican side. Why is that? A, why is that not a big deal to the current president and the Homeland Security? It is not. They just he does not care. And that's what some of the exchanges is, are so ap- abruptly apparent when Mayorkas comes to Capitol Hill. All he is, I'm sure he's playing out somebody's wishes. Maybe it's his, maybe it's not. Here's Senator Kennedy, cut 20, cut uh, 30. Here's what I think, Mr. Secretary. I think you're a smart guy. Now, there are only tw- one or two things going on here. Either you're not qualified to manage a Costco food court or you believe in open borders. And I think it's the latter. And by the way, a Costco food court is not easy because you got everything from fish and chips to people that just make pretzels, which is just a lot of carbs. And I don't recommend fried food. Susan Collins, would you say she's a firebrand? She's not. Cut 31. Communities throughout our country are struggling to absorb the influx of migrants as they are released pending an adjudication of their claims a process that can take years. In Portland, Maine, a city of 68,000 residents, more than 1,600 asylum seekers have arrived since January. Sanford, Maine, which has a population of 22,000, has had nearly 400 migrants arrive since the month of May. So she's saying how all these cities, even in small town Maine, are affected because you let the border get busted. They come back and they say this, well, this is a worldwide migration. No, it is not. People are always on the move because they hate the countries they're in, like Cuba, Venezuela, now, recently, last 10 years. That's going to be a problem. No one wants to live there. People just have other countries. They just have failed countries from Africa. They want to come here. But there's a process to doing it. Have you ever talked to a Canadian who tries to come here legally? You ever try to talk to anybody that tries to come here legally? 
this I, I don't really mind. It's a process. You got to pay some money. You got to take some tests. You got to if you're going to get a green card, you better play a perfect game. If you get a DWI, your car shoplifting, you are ineligible to come in. I like it. I'd make it easier for people that can help our country. Daytime workers, I'd give more uh, daytime visas or short-term work visas to come and help out various industries that need it. People, everybody wins on that. You apply for it. You to be responsible for them. You provide some housing. They come back and forth. I like that. Susan Collins is trying to explain to him in a nice, docile, respectful way. This is on you. You're not letting Border Patrol do their job. You're not getting proper financing. You didn't fill bills to the wall. You reversed Remain in Mexico. You haven't put tariffs on governments that have not cracked down on their border. And now we have to live with it. And we can't afford it. Quick note on, on Teddy and Booker T. Tonight I'm going to be in Red Bank, New Jersey at the Vogel. Ponte Vedra on the 10th. Then the Villages on the 11th. Vero Beach on Sunday the 12th. Madison, Connecticut, November 14th. At R.J. Julia. That was great last year. Then over the, after the Patriot Awards, I'll sign there. you got to go get tickets. Then I'll go to Brentwood, Tennessee, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Madison, Alabama. It's going to be like, who set this up? This is grueling. Then I'm going to go to Montgomery, Alabama, and then right to the day after Thanksgiving, Bayshore, New York. talk show that's real this is the brian kilmeade show and you have about what seven or eight candidates left i think they're at a debate tonight nobody's talking about it everybody's watching so it's 61 percent for your favorite president me and 10 percent for ronda sanctimonious and seven percent for bird brain i watch these guys coming in i had this thing and i was watching these guys they're not watchable you know, the last debate was the lowest rated debate in the history of politics. I don't think so, uh, but you never know. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes he gets his stats. I don't know if you know this, but he tends to uh, speak in extremes. For more on this, let's go to Tack, Kat Timp, co-host of Gutfeld, author of her book, You Can't Joke About That, Why Everything is Funny, Nothing is Sacred, and We're All in This Together. And she's got a bunch of live shows. Uh, including in Jacksonville, Florida, especially the WOKV fans, November 12th. On the 18th, uh, at the Sawyer Theater in Albany, New York. We had a great affiliate up there. November 19th in Syracuse, New York. Uh, and then December 1st in Reading, Pennsylvania at Miller Center. And December 3rd at Attic's Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. WNIS listeners, make sure you go out there. Kat, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Kat, you usually go sleep all day and wake up right before Gutfeld tapes, right? So this really <laughs> screws with your schedule. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm never up before noon. <laughs> <laughs> so so to describe what, what's going to – when your book uh, published, did you expect it to do this well? And you've converted that to this all the series of live shows. Are you enjoying this process? I really, really am. Well, the the book is the best thing that I've ever done, I think. And it's something I get to say because I don't have any children, so they won't be upset. Ah, ah, So (laughs) I'm really proud of it. And the live show is a lot of fun. I was at a New York comedy festival last night. So I did have a competing event with the debate. And uh, it it went very, very, very well. It was great. Um, I, I kind of tell the story of the book. With a slideshow, it's like a one-woman show, but it's very stand-up influence. So it's a funny show. Every slide kind of has a punchline. 
And it's, you know, really fun to see people laugh at a lot of things that I joke about in the show because it makes me feel like, you know, there may be hope for us. (laughs) Right. As a civilization or you mean just me and you? Um, Well, both. As a civilization, I would say, because, you know, if you look at social media, if you, you read some of the news, it's always people are getting offended about this or that thing. And I think that that's true. But I think we need to remember that sometimes it's those extreme voices that are so loud and it's it's not the average normal person. And yesterday on my show, I mean, I had a lot of different people. I mean, people who were older, people who were really, really young. Um, and everyone's laughing at these jokes I'm making. You know, a lot of them are certainly not um, politically correct subject matter. We'll put it that way. I think it's um, coming but, back, don't you, Kat? Yeah. I mean, don't you feel as though people are snapping out of it? Yeah, I think people probably took it a little too far. But it's still those loud voices sometimes. And, you really got to be careful because it's, you know, and by be careful, I mean, be careful not to fall for it because, at, you know, sometimes you can feel like, oh, no, everybody thinks this is offensive when really it's just a bunch of weirdos that spend all day on Twitter um, trying to take other people down. So how would you label yourself politically? Like People always want to say, want to put you in a category. How would you label yourself? Yeah, I'm a small L libertarian. So I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. Uh, I, I'm for very, very small government. And there's neither major party that supports a government that's small enough than the one that I want to see. So how does that relate how you view everything on a daily basis being that's coming at us like a hurricane? Yeah, I think that for me, I have the benefit of kind of being able to view everything that's going on without, you know, having like a horse in the race in terms of who I'm going to vote for. I always vote third party. And it kind of gives me a a less biased view when it comes to that. The bad news is is that I get it from both sides. Um, (laughs) That's the bad news. But the good news is I think I can, you know, look at it, have a different perspective. And I also have a lot of friends from different – who have different belief systems. And and I'm able to see how much we really have in common and can can connect on as human beings. So uh, Kat Timp has got a big tour date to see her on stage, and we got this huge base. Fox has a huge base in Jacksonville, so they're going to love you at the Terry Theater uh, coming up on the 12th. When's the 12th? Is that tomorrow? That, no, that's uh, Sunday. So I'm in Orlando on Saturday, but that one's already sold out. Hey, Pete, why so, didn't you tell me the date? You're supposed to tell me the date every day. I mean, what is wrong? I can't do everything. I can't know the date <laughs> and the time. Uh, so I want you to hear, tell me if this, I know you don't get offended, but tell me if you think this is out of bounds. Cut to. You have the likes of Nikki Haley, who stepped down from her time at the U.N., bankrupt or in debt is, was her family. Then she becomes a military contractor. She joins the board of Boeing and otherwise and is now a multimillionaire. So I think that that's wrong when Republicans do it or Democrats do it. That's the choice we face. Do you want a leader from a different generation who's going to put this country first? Or do you want Dick Cheney in three-inch heels? All right, Mr. In which case, we've got two of them on stage tonight. Thank you. Governor Haley, would you please answer that? Yes, I'd first like to say they're five-inch heels, and I don't wear them unless you can run in them. Um, We've got two of you on stage. The second thing that I will say is... I wear heels. They're not for a fashion statement. They're for ammunition. So so that exchange, your thoughts. I don't, yeah, I I certainly don't find it offensive. I'm somebody who is very, first of all, I'm very anti-war, so I like the points that Vivek brought up regarding that in terms of people, you know, who are in the government and then they work for these companies, um, you know, so-called defense or whatever, military companies. In terms of talking about the heels, I mean, I I think there's bigger problems in the world than to get upset about that. 
I, I, I could see how, you know, that, that's something people are going to be so laser focused on. If you ever bring up anything, I mean, she's, you know, the only woman up there. If you ever bring anything up like that, people are going to want to seize on that. But for me, the more upsetting thing would be the, the military industrial complex. But maybe that's just me. Right. Uh, which we, <laughs> by the way, which is waning uh, these days. So the thing I worry about, no matter who wins an election, if you vilify that other person, those supporters, when they lose, will feel as though the country is in the hands of an evil dictator. So I think I understand negative advertising, but don't go over the top. Well, yesterday, Hillary Clinton went over the top. Cut 19. You know, when I was secretary of state, I used to talk about one and done. And what I meant by that is that people would get legitimately elected. Mm-hmm. And then they would try to do away with elections and do away with opposition and do away with a free press. And you could see it in countries where, well, Hitler was duly elected. That's right. Right. And so all of a sudden, somebody with those tendencies, though, dictatorial, authoritarian tendencies would be like, okay, we're going to shut this down. We're going to throw these people in jail. And, And they didn't usually telegraph that. Trump is telling us yes. what he intends yes. to right. do. To listen yes. to Take that. him at his word. I mean, Hitler, Trump, uh, is, I mean, come on. And not only that, I mean, this was basically her whole, that was basically her whole campaign. And it didn't, in 2016, and it didn't work. <laughs> so I don't know why she can't let it go. I mean, I can't believe we're still doing the Trump-Hitler thing. I, I mean, I really, <laughs> it, it, it's so ridiculous on its face. But then it's also, you know, at, at a certain point, I think people are tired of hearing it. I, I agree. I worry about the independents that are half involved in, in low and, oh, my goodness, this country's over. This That evil person they've been talking about on television just won an election, and he's winning everywhere. They also said the people that follow him have a cult-like dimension to them. So there you go. Now insult his followers. Game on. So if Joe Biden can't talk, can't campaign, his policies are terrible— this is what we're going to be seeing for the next eight months. I know personally it helps the Gutfeld show because it gives you a lot of extremely crazy things to talk about. But as an American, does it bother you? Right. I mean, look, it, 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 I think it's really horrible how polarizing people are and how polarized things are. There's also Trump supporters, like anyone else, are not a monolith. There's varying degrees of Trump supporters, right? There's people who love the guy, obviously. You know, huge supporters love Trump. There's also people who just voted for him because they see it as a binary choice. And, you know, maybe they see Joe Biden and they're like, that guy can't form a coherent thought. I'm yes. going to vote for the other. So, so it's, 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 it's a varying degree of a person. It's, it's actually a diverse group of people ideologically and in other ways. And I think that people can get really frustrated when they see themselves demonized when really – it, 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 these things aren't even close to accurate about them. And when you're getting demonized and, and, and um, you know, sort of having these things said about you for really no reason, that can make people dig their heels in even further and, and, and be less willing to listen to any anyone who's criticizing anyone for a more legitimate reason. Cat Tiff is going to be entered November 12th in Jacksonville, the 18th in Albany, the 19th in Syracuse, December 1st in Reading, Pennsylvania, and December 3rd in Norfolk, Virginia. WNIS listeners, make sure to see there. Cat, we'll see you tonight on Gutfell, right? Yes, of course. I Absol- never stop. All right. Oh, watch her. Yeah, watch her tonight at 10 and go see her live. Cat, thanks so much. Congratulations on everything. Thank you. You got it. Meanwhile, when we come back, a woman that just spent some, some quality time in Israel that knows the region quite well is where she was brought up. Dr. Kanta Ahmed, an independent women's forum senior fellow, joins us live next. 
You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. As the secretary said, we want to make sure that Gaza and the West Bank are for the Palestinian people and that they have a vote, they have a voice, that they they get to be the determining factor in what governance looks like where they're living, uh, in their homes. Um, and that remains our policy and, and, and will go forward. Now, what exactly does that governance structure look like? And when does it get put in place? And who are the players that are going to help adapt that? All that we're working out. So they're working at a four-hour pause daily. Uh, they agreed to honor this to the Israeli military. Uh, they're they're going to do that to get humanitarian aid in to flow into Gaza. The White House made that announcement. You just heard it. Because we understand that Israel will begin to implement that right away. Uh, and uh, with the announcement to be made three hours beforehand, they're going to announce four-hour pauses three hours beforehand. There'll be no military operations in those areas for the duration of the pauses. The agreement comes after the directors of both the CIA, Mossad, Met, and Qatar for negotiations surrounding such pauses. CIA Director Burns and the Mossad Director Barnia were in the talks with Qataris for multiple days, an official with knowledge of the visit told Fox News. Joining us now, a woman that just came back from there. Uh, she is Dr. Kanta Ahmed from the Independent Women's Forum Senior Fellow. Uh, Dr. Ahmed, welcome back. Brian, great to be with you. Thanks. So first off, I know you're not a military person, but do you think it's necessary from what you heard when you were in Israel? Do you think this is going to be met harshly, this pause? I think that the Israelis are incredibly pragmatic, but the overwhelming message uh, the United States needs to receive is that Israel will need much more time to prosecute this war. Of course, Israel and the United States does not want to target civilians. These four-hour pauses will give civilians a chance to move out of the northern Gaza zone of conflict. Hamas has been holding back civilians in that region. But the level of terror infrastructure they they are finding, I've just got off the phone with an Israeli uh, leader in the military, what they're finding, the caches of missiles, missile manufacturing equipment, the tunnels, the ammunition, the entire engineering of that area is so heavily, densely impregnated with weapons making that it's going to take a very long time to uproot and neutralize this and to eliminate these jihadists for whom... There are no good words to describe what they've done to human beings. Brian, I was also able to see the bodies of Jewish people murdered, the people exterminated, the remains of children, the remains of incinerated human beings, all at the hands of Hamas. We mustn't lose sight of what they've done. And not only, we, I'm only seeing the evidence of the death, but there is increasing evidence of the torture and the sexual violation of women while while they were teeming all over the kibbutzes and the other communities when they invaded on October 7th. Hamas now tells the New York Times that they want to, they hope for a constant state of war, a permanent state of war at the borders. They say that's behind uh, – this is their – called behind their bloody gambit. They didn't want to control Gaza anymore. They don't want to be a governing body. They say let somebody else take care of the water and the gas and the plumbing. They're going to sit on the outside and try to just to kill Israelis. 
I mean, exactly. that is something. And I've got that news we, for you, They're Brian. telling Once everyone. Again, once again, uh, news for you, the New York Times is not breaking headlines. Anyone who understands Hamas knows that this was their very well-documented intent. They are a radical Islamist group, at the center of which is a lethal enmity with the Jewish people, with Jewry, with the state of Israel. There's no question about that. Anybody who didn't understand that is now illuminated. But all of their actions have pointed to this. And that is why Hamas is also sacrificing its own civilian population. They don't care about a Palestinian life. They have only one goal, and that is eliminationist anti-Semitism. And that is the murder of every Jewish entity Hamas can get its hands on. That's why this is so serious. And I know um, we here in the United States are extremely concerned about the normalization of anti-Semitism, the incredible rallies that are legitimizing Hamas. This is not just a conflict in the Middle East. This is going to tear our own societies apart. And I'm very afraid of the rise of eliminationist anti-Semitism and violence of that nature in our own country. Listen to Steph Knight uh, from Axios talk about the divide within the party about this. Cut 24. It's true. And it's just, you know, another example of additional pressures that, you know, the President Biden is facing in the Middle East. It's just going to continue to get worse. He's already, you know, battling his own party's divide over, you know, what's happening in Israel with Hamas's terrorist attack and the fallout from that. And there is, we're truly in an age of, of crisis right now, the world in crisis that the president is having to deal with on, on many fronts, not to mention the own domestic political situation he's facing as well. But we continue to see you know, this escalating with something to certainly keep an eye on moving forward. Right. So he's having trouble keeping his own party together who took censure and rallied around it because they were going for the Palestinians as if uh, just ignoring October 7th. I mean, they don't seem to fully realize or don't care. Well, I would say that I am I take the same view as Israel, which is that I care about civilian life. I care about Palestinian civilian life. I care about Israeli uh, civilian life. But Hamas is an enemy, which is ISIS on steroids, financed with hundreds of millions of of our money and money from Qatar for decades. And so if we cannot get behind the threat of a radical jihadist group, the same ideology that took down the trade towers here in the United States, if we can't agree on fighting that, then we've lost sight of ourselves as a society. And I want the Democratic Party in particular, but also the Republicans, to not shy away from exposing and denouncing Islamist anti-Semitism. When we have a Congresswoman, uh, Rashida Tlaib, chanting from the river to the sea, that is eliminationist anti-Semitism. When you criticize her as a non-Muslim, and she says Islamophobia, that is a classic Islamist tactic. I have been warning about that with with you on television yep. and on the radio and with your network, that that is exactly the intention of Islamophobia, is to silence this kind of criticism. So we are in an extremely precarious time, at the end of almost 20 years of controlling language so that we can't talk about these it's things. It's crazy. Now is the time to speak Dr. about it. Dr. Ahmed, thanks so much. Thanks for making the trip and bringing your insights to our audience. And let's stay in touch. Brian, it's always great to be with you. Thanks. All right, great. I'll see everybody tonight at Redback, New Jersey. Then Friday, I'll see you at WOKV right in Ponte Vedra, Florida. Then over to the Villages on Saturday, Vero Beach on Sunday.
Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.